like the longest you've ever <laughs> had a podcast and kept with it. This is by far the longest I've ever had a podcast and kept with it. <laughs> um, probably due to the fact that I can't escape my, my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Illegal Double Team. We are Jonathan and Christina Snowden, and we love professional wrestling. Christina, it has been an exhausting week, uh, per- personally, professionally, as a wrestling fan, all of the above, but kind of in a good way. It's uh, been an exciting time, I think. Yeah, I mean, it would have been really easy for this week to kind of, eh, let's just say suck after the Vegas trip, but as far as wrestling is concerned, it was uh, actually a really exciting week. That's good. Uh, was it just like a couple, when was this Vegas trip? It feels like a million years ago. Um, it was like we got back about I don't know ten days ago, something like that. And you had another trip in the middle, so yeah. So there's just been uh, endless. The wrestling this year is going to just be uh, one string of shows, and it, it's hard to kind of distinguish between them sometimes. But um, what happened on which show and when, and um, but I guess that's kind of our job here. So, <laughs> Our job, really? Our, our unpaid job that we do for like 10 people. I've told you, you make it start feeling like a job and I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, our uh, our hobby, our hobby podcast here. I am a lifelong housewife. No jobs. <laughs> I don't want you to start now. I've made this clear. All right. You're not a lifelong housewife. You were in the army and all kinds of other stuff. I mean, since leaving my last job from now on, no jobs. <laughs> that was the deal. You're lucky that you're good looking. <laughs> all right. Well, every week, Christina, we, we count down the five things we love the most about professional wrestling in that given week. And so why not do that right now? Five, all four, right. three, two, one. So we're going to start with number five, NXT TakeOver. I watched the whole thing, then kind of curated the show for you, but then you ended up watching it all anyway, uh, which should tell people how fun the whole show was. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't get to see it live, even though like, you know, pretty much everyone on my Twitter feed was talking about it, but I was in Milwaukee watching MLW Fury Road 19 live, um, which is also was a spectacular show. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But uh, so I didn't get to see these live. So Christina kind of told me which ones were the good matches, which was pretty much all of them. So, <laughs> well, we picked as number five the ladder match. Yes, I mean just your typical ladder match insanity, and uh, you know, in in moderation. I wouldn't want to watch one of these every week, but like you know, every once in a while, it's kind of fun to watch these. And and these were you know these NXT guys that still have a lot to prove and they still got some spring in their legs and some pep in their step and so there weren't like uh, extended periods where you know there wasn't a lot happening it was pretty much guys trying to impress uh, for the entire 15 or 20 minutes or however long it lasted so that uh, made it kind of fun yeah so it was uh, four tag teams and they were competing for the tag titles which were suspended above the ring uh, you had to get both belts in order to be named the NXT Tag Team Champions. We had Oni Lorcan and Birch, Street Profits, Undisputed Era, and Forgotten Sons. And like you said, it was just nonstop action. In fact, they had to bring in people 
who weren't actually in the match just, you know, so they could keep that action going. Yeah, just kind of inexplicably a big muscly guy showed up and he's like uh, the bodyguard of the Forgotten Sons or something. Like, I never understood that gimmick where, like, the tough guy wrestlers need their own bodyguard. But um, anyway, everyone else in the match ended up beating this guy up. So I guess it was good for something. At least, like, it killed a couple of minutes or whatever. Yeah, I mean, he got to come out and do a little bit of work while everyone else got a little bit of breather. Yeah, they probably appreciated that. Um, I, I really like pretty much all of these teams. Uh, the the British team is amusing to me because it has these two guys that, like, they look like they're like a hundred years old. <laughs> it's yeah, very interesting. I I'm not sure how old they are. Um, they're either living tough, or they're like fifty. Yeah, they're the only two choices. <laughs> they're they really just like twenty three years old. <laughs> you never really can really tell with uh, one of our British friends. <laughs> But, uh, you know, for me, like this match, uh, there was a lot of good matches on this card and throughout the week that didn't quite make it onto this list. I would say that there was one spot in this match that put this on the list, and that was the finish. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a finish quite like this because of the fact that Montez Ford from Street Profits has an amazing jumping ability. And so the finish involved him jumping from the top rope, like almost to the top of the ladder. Yeah, it was super impressive. Now, we've seen guys in WWE in the past, I think, springboard onto ladders, but not quite this no, way. No, not like this. Where he just like launched himself pretty much to the top and then uh, knocked one of the other guys off to, to take the belts. But like, it was I just... couldn't tell if he knocked the other guy off or if the guy was literally so scared that he just fell off. No, no, he, put, he hit him with a punch. He did hit him. So I, I was just so like... Uh, bedazzled by the jump that I missed that. I couldn't tell if the guy just fell backwards. And it was one of those deals with the WWE camera work where they like initially they were trying to make it a surprise, I guess. So like when he launched himself onto the ladder, at first you don't really see it very well. Just all of a sudden he's there like in mid frame and then wins the titles. But eventually they got around to showing some replays of decent camera angles and you could see just how cool it was. So that was a, that's the kind of spot that you remember for a long time. And like a, if he goes on to great success, that's like one of the clips that'll be in his like all time highlight reel. I think like, you know, remember back in the day when he did this incredible thing in this ladder match, because uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty special moment. Yep. And so, uh, yes, so Street Profits are your new NXT Tag Team Champions. Yeah, which is great. I mean, you know that I've like loved them for a long time, and I think that, you know, it's like they're one of those acts where you just like are wondering like what, what, what are you waiting for? They're big. Uh, they can work. They can talk. They have a good gimmick. Um, like let's let's go WWE. I mean, I guess it's a it's cool to be in NXT, but like. These are the kind of acts that, to me, I think have potential, like mainstream potential, if you play it the right way, and and you get them on Hot 97, you get them on the Breakfast Club, or, or whatever it is. Like you know, there there are angles that you could pursue here, and they're good enough to to pull their weight in the ring as well. So um, I don't know. It's just like another one of these things where I'm like, I, I see bigger things for these guys, but I'm not a thousand percent confident that WWE will be able to figure it out appropriately. Well, not a great track record so far, but we'll see. I'm hopeful. I, I, I will remain hopeful. Okay. Moving on to number four. As you said, you were in Milwaukee. Yeah, I was in Milwaukee for MLW Fury Road 19. Was that your first trip to Milwaukee? Yes. Well, how was it? 
it was pretty good. I, you know, I didn't get to experience that much. I actually flew in the day of the wrestling match, and then my flight was delayed for hours and hours. So I, I went literally from the airport. A friend of the podcast, Rich Hansen, uh, drove me from the airport uh, right to the arena. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. But, uh, you know, I didn't get that much time for exploration that day. And then the next day I went and... Um, to the MLW television tapings, like not the, the matches, but where they tape like the skits and the interviews and stuff. And so, um, and I spent all day doing that, uh, with them. And so, um, there wasn't too much time to see Milwaukee, but we did go to a cool bar restaurant called the Vanguard, which we found out, uh, later on, uh, the wrestlers had gone to the previous night and, and the bartender had a bunch of pictures of the wrestlers. I won't say any names, but, uh, looking pretty hammered. So <laughs> <laughs> it may have been a good night at the Vanguard on a Saturday night in Milwaukee. All right. So why were you in Milwaukee exactly? Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons. One, I love wrestling, but two, we are doing an MLW podcast. It's called inside major league wrestling. And uh, you and I will be watching all of the MLW Fusion shows and talking about them and also interviewing the wrestlers and the behind the scenes people and really trying to uh, be like, uh, look at wrestling from a journalist perspective. So you look at it and ask like the questions like, how does this work? Why does it work the way it does? Uh, what are the wrestlers thinking about? What are they like? You know, how do they create this art? That's kind of the goal of the podcast. And so I was there for the purpose of uh, interviewing some wrestlers. And, and I did. And uh, so the, the episode, the first one debuted this week. We talked to MLW CEO Court Bauer. And then I talked to the new national openweight champion, uh, Alexander Hammerstone. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting interview. It's, he had a lot to say about fans, about the art of wrestling, about uh, whether or not fans are capable of truly judging a wrestling match. Uh, we really got deep into it. So, yeah, um, it was good. I, I was excited to do it and it's going to, it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. Who else did you get to talk to? Uh, man, so many people, uh, you know, I talked to MJF and we'll have, uh, MJF on next week. Uh, the heavyweight champion, filthy Tom Lawler, the, the legendary low key. I talked to both Von Eric brothers, uh, Mance Warner, uh, just, uh, I mean, I could, we could spend the, the entire entirety of the podcast, like listing the people I talked to. Yeah. Let's not do that. Okay. It was a <laughs> lot. It was a lot. And you'll find out if you listen to the MLW podcast in the next few weeks. Uh, okay. I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of directing that. The, oh, 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 okay. The, the, All right. the dozens of other listeners besides us. All right, good. I don't have to listen. All no, right. <laughs> no, you're, you're safe. All right. <laughs> nice one. Number three. Oh, you cracked yourself up. Christina's uh, cracked herself up. She can't do number three. All right, number three. No, oh. I can do number three. All right. Also from NXT TakeOver, our uh, favorite match of the night, and it was uh, Io Shirai versus Shayna Baszler. Yeah, tremendous. This is for the women's title. Yes. For the NXT women's title. The women's title in my mind. Yes, but it's, um, it's so much more than that. Why is it more than that? Well, because... Just quite honestly, Shayna Baszler has been a bit of a bully. Yeah, she's not very nice, is she? And Io Shirai is having to deal with her bullying in addition to having lost her friends who have been moved up to the main roster. All her she's, friends are dead. She, yeah, all her friends are dead. She's alone in NXT. And this Shayna Baszler just 
walking around like she owns the place and can do whatever she wants without consequence because she's always got those horsewomen with her uh, to have her back. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, and, and then I guess, uh, you know, what I liked about it is that um, I don't know that I would recommend this for, for like my own kids or anyone else, but like uh, Io Shirai dealt with a bully the way uh, one has traditionally been taught to deal with a bully, and that's by hitting her with a kendo stick. That's right. That's how it's done. <laughs> that is exactly how you do it. But that's skipping ahead because before that, there was an actual wrestling match. Yes, and, and it, it was excellent. It's really good. I mean, these two women are, are fantastic. I think uh, Shayna Baszler is, uh, you know, my opinion, is the best uh, women's wrestler in, in the United States for sure. And I, I think she does an excellent job every time we see her and her matches are, are different. Yeah, very yeah. different. Yeah, and that's I kind of like it. It's a, it's like incorporates elements of style I, I really like, like the shoot style and the fact that she was an MMA fighter and the the way she grounds grinds opponents down and, mm-hmm. and grounds them and uses some actual submission holds and then that just the aura she has being an MMA fighter uh, kind of lends these matches just like a different feel yeah very she's very tough yes. very tough but uh, Io Shirai proved to be just I mean almost as tough I mean it, oh yeah she's a mad woman yeah I mean <laughs> the fact that that she can uh, She's she's a great striker, it turns out. And then she also has these dynamic high flying moves and then just like she showed this fire and personality in this match. Even though there's uh, you know, a huge language barrier, she was still um she was still able to express you know, she's very expressive. Yes. And so there was never any doubt about what she was thinking or That's what right. what her motivations were. And then I don't know, just top to bottom I thought this was uh, fantastic. It was. But Io Shirai, unfortunately, made a mistake. She did. She went for this. Uh, it, it was a really cool bridging pin that she did. But unfortunately, she put her neck right there. Left her wide open. Right there for Shayna Baszler. And so she got herself choked out. She did. So uh, no belt for Io Shirai. Uh, Shayna Baszler retained. But like I said, this wasn't just about the belt. This was personal. Yeah, and so the the way this, the setup for it, I think, is, is going to lead into to more feuding. And I and I welcome it because it was such a good match. I'd love to see him do it again. That's right. And so after the finish, uh, Io Shirai continued to take it to Shayna Baszler. First, the beating with the kendo stick, like you said, the only real way to deal with a bully. <laughs> and then a what was it? Was it a moonsault or a shooting star press? What is she, I can't remember with a chair. Yeah, yeah, it was a moonsault. A moonsault. With the chair on top of Shayna Baszler. Yeah, it was hardcore. Yeah, not the lay the chair on the downed opponent and then moonsault onto it. No, she held the chair. Yes. <laughs> so the chair got all the momentum going. All the momentum of her yeah. body driven into Shayna Baszler. It was really impressive. Yes. And uh, turns out the NXT live crowd agreed with my assessment of Shayna being a bully who deserved it by chanting, you deserve it <laughs> as Shayna lay broken in the middle of the ring. So perhaps she will rethink her bullying ways or she'll just get meaner. Yeah. I think she's just going to have to bully better. Yeah. She'll, she'll have to make a phone call to bully Ray himself from uh, ring of honor and see, uh, get some new bullying techniques. But, she, but Io Shirai did get a friend. She made a friend. Candice LeRae came out to that help bl- her to that blonde girl. That blonde girl came out to defend her. That's what she does. When the horsewomen attempted to interfere. So at least now she's not going to be having to do this all alone. 
I think it's more like she has a, a, a she was adopted, and Candace is going to be like her mom. I'm not sure, but uh, I I look forward to it. I mean, it, it's a it's a every time Shayna Baszler delivers, and so um, you know I think she'll just keep doing that until eventually, possibly they bring her up to the main roster, which I'm hearing is going to be. Uh, sooner s- rather than later soon but then I, they say I that really all the time so because um, I don't, i'm not sure i do because i think that she would go up there and get lost well yeah it's i just i it bothers me a little bit that you've got this uh you know what do they call it this women's revolution or evolution going on in the wwe when they're they're getting the spotlight on them and yet some of their best wrestlers are down in nxt like well, that's true, I don't but know. I guess the revolution or the evolution doesn't, you know, extends into the developmental territory too. So I guess it would make sense if you're going to feature women, you're going to feature them, you know, everywhere you do business except the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I'm just really hoping that if if people are, um, if you're not already familiar with the women's wrestling, if you're getting interested in it or you haven't seen a lot, I just, I hope they get a chance to see some of this stuff in NXT because I just think it's better. Yeah, and that applies across the board, not just for women. So (laughs) (laughs) if you enjoy professional wrestling in the WWE style or the American style, um, this is where you should be watching NXT uh, by far. If you're going to watch WWE, that's the promotion to watch. I agree. No diss. All right, moving on to number two. We're going to move to Japan. Yes. Um, You and I? (laughs) <laughs> we have talked yes. about it uh no on our countdown we're gonna move to japan you know as soon as we moved to japan like koto Ibushi would move to florida and you'd be like just crushed <laughs> i know it's all like predicated on like a, somehow seeing like koto Ibushi like shopping for his 900 hundred dollar tennis shoes or something <laughs> that's what the move is all about and he, and he would screw it up yeah you know what that actually does sound exactly like what would happen to us but we are just moving on to New Japan in our countdown. Uh, best of the Super Junior Final. It's going to dominate the rest of the countdown because that was a great show. Yes. Um, did we have a disagreement about one and two? Or do no. we, we have an agreement? No, we are in agreement. All right. So number number two was the debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling of Moxley. Uh, taking on Juice Robinson for the United States Championship. Yes. And I did not know what to think about this match going in. Yeah, because it was, you know, we had not seen Moxley for a long time, except for in WWE, where, frankly, he was um, not at the level of the top New Japan wrestlers as far as what he delivered in the ring. And then even previously, like in his indie days, like you had mostly seen him uh, as a deathmatch wrestler. Yes, which doesn't lend itself to wrestling Juice Robinson. Not, yeah, you wouldn't think so. And so, like, what he had and whether he could deliver on this level, I thought was an open question. Like, he had a name for sure. And that got him into the ring. But once you get into the ring, there has you have to deliver in some form, or you know it's a one-off appearance, I think. And so um, he had a lot to prove, in my opinion, uh, and as did Juice. Yes. And so, and I think both of them proved a lot to me. Yeah, they did. It uh, was very entertaining. I mean, more than anything, the first and foremost, John Moxley proved that he looks amazing in a pair of short pants. That's right. And, like, there's no better way to get a pop in New Japan Pro Wrestling than to show off some thighs, as Okada showed. That's right. And you know how I feel about wrestling in jeans. So 
quite frankly, I am glad to see those gone. And he didn't even wrestle in jeans. He was wrestled in some kind of weird jeggings or something. Yeah, I, I I figure all the jeans are kind of those stretch jeggings. Well, he made it he made it work. Those little tiny shorts were working. Then Juice came up and tried to like, uh, I don't know if he was up in the ante or like uh, trying to draw some attention back, but he had cut his dreadlocks off. Yes. Oh, that was a shock. Yeah, because he was wearing that weird tube on his head. Looked like he had raided Randy Savage's closet, and uh, but he had this weird tube on his head, and then he took it off, and like there were no dreads. No dreads. It's like he's like signaling something here. This is all very meaningful. Mm. We're gonna have to wait for effing boring to tell us all what exactly what it means, but I'm sure it means something. Whatever, whatever she writes about it, it'll be very entertaining. Uh, no doubt about it. And I will read it. <laughs> what this match really brought more than the the sartorial choices although those were, of course, supremely important to you and I, um, was a level of violence that's uh, unusual for New Japan Pro Wrestling. As great as the wrestling normally is, this was a different sort of violence. Yeah, I was expecting it from Moxley. I didn't know how Juice would handle it. I did not expect that he would embrace it and try to give back uh, just as much as he was getting. I mean, he he lost his mind in this match. Uh, I mean, the the thing that really stands out, I think, was that he went up on top of the balcony, and he did this crazy dive, and he just missed everyone. He just he overshot everyone. And he just he just went splat. Yeah, he took quite. Yeah, it was um. It was a pretty, took quite a pretty, bit of weight on what looked like one leg. So I, I mean, he favored that leg through the match. I I tend to think that might have been like a shoot injury. Right. Uh, and then, you know, they they brought out one of those uh, really skinny but unusually hard Japanese tables <laughs> and were trying to toss each other into it and it wouldn't really break appropriately. At one point there was, as you said, a Juice Robinson-sized, like, dent in the table. Oh, yeah, like Juice's butt. Bre- but it didn't break. It didn't break. But eventually they broke it. And, like, I mean, so, like, I, I don't want to do, like, a list of all the spots, but they were, they were numerous. And then... Um, I suppose, like, beyond the balcony dive, most memorable, I think, coming out of this match will be Moxley biting Juice's forehead and drawing blood. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not... I Do I remember that Juice returned the favor? He did, didn't he? Yeah, but I think John Moxley may have bit Juice as a shoot. <laughs> I, there's, like, a close-up picture of him, and he's definitely got forehead skin in, <sighs> in his mouth. So, um Ultimately, of course, being one of the the biggest emerging wrestling stars in the world, uh, Moxley was victorious. But um, this was, we say this a lot probably, but I really feel at this time that this was one of those matches where Juice Robinson may have uh, been victim of a three count, but perceptionally around the world to fans and promoters and other wrestlers, um, this was a win for Juice. I felt like it was. I, I really did. And now that Moxley is sitting here holding a New Japan title, I got to wonder, like, what, what exactly is the future for Moxley in New Japan? Apparently fighting young boys. Well, we know we have his match for Dominion, which I am so excited about. I can't stand it. But, um, I mean, beyond that, because I'm assuming that Shota is not taking the u.s title off of him but who knows any given any given day yeah that's right it would it'd be a weird jump up but whatever but um yeah i mean what's what's his future in new japan given that he is you know the second biggest star in AEW? well i mean as well as he delivered there um i could see him 
if they're comfortable with that style of match, basically it was the Jericho match in some ways with a lot of garbage spots and nonsense going on outside of the ring, only delivered by somebody who is not probably like a grandfather or, or age of a grandfather. And so uh, I don't really know uh, Jericho's status. Uh, he could be a grandfather. I would suspect. He's old as dirt. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to say he's old. Um, and Moxley is not as old. And so, like, you know, he, he's a big star that can continue delivering these kind of matches should New Japan need a big foreign star for some purpose. Well, I I felt like the crowd was really into they were it. They there for it. And, uh, Not just before. Like, sometimes you get the initial pop when someone comes out, and then it's kind of, like, dead afterwards because they don't do crap. They can have Goldberg here and some of his New Japan runs. But... Um, they were into Moxley at the end of this too, and they should have been because it was awesome. Right. So yeah. I, yeah. I, so if if they if the fans like this kind of match, they can't have been disappointed with this one. No, no doubt. And I'm very excited now to see uh, a match that we're going to live at the end of the <laughs> month. I was already excited. I mean, who's gonna lie? But uh, Moxley against Joey Janela yeah. in Daytona Beach, Florida. Who, whoever imagined that you would go into that match thinking like. Wow, Juice is up the ante. Joey better show us something. Right, yeah. But, you know, I think it really also shows that Juice, like, um, may not be cast appropriately in New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he's like this goofy baby face wrestler and, and he can't really wrestle. No offense to him. I hope he's not listening. I'm, this is I don't mean this is an insult because I'm about to compliment him, but he can't really wrestle in the technical style of New Japan as well as the top New Japan wrestlers. Uh, I think that's pretty clear. I think even his supporters would admit that. But what he showed here is that he can wrestle in an American hardcore style. Right. Like, really well. And then he has the passionate promos and stuff. Like, um, I still believe that Juice Robinson has star potential if used correctly by a, a, an American promotion. Um, or New Japan, should they kind of move their wrestling t- into this direction. So, um, Well, perhaps this people, match. Because people would seem to give up on him. Well, perhaps this match and the haircut and everything is, you know, maybe he's signaling that he is ready to move on to something else. I think he should. Like, maybe ditch the funny hats and the goofy tights and... um, I I don't know that you even have to do that. You don't think that just the sort of juxtaposition of being a bit of a goofball while also being a bit of a badass is kind of amusing? Maybe. Entertaining? But, I mean, I I don't know that when it gets down to it that the top wrestling acts... uh, play on amusing as much as some wrestling fans and writers seem to think they do i mean most wrestling acts are vaguely serious at the top level so i don't know if i were him i would start all over it'd be symbolic like much like the haircut like if he comes out in some serious black having lost his belt and stuff yeah this would be a great time for uh what's the big what's the big buzzword in new japan reborn paradigm shift oh that was moxley Moxley. but a lot of folks have been using the reborn well it's time for juice to be reborn maybe and uh, this would be a good springboard to that so i don't know either way i i i've always among our household i've been the juice guy it's true i'm a doubter not anymore good (laughs) <laughs> Glad we brought you on board. So I look forward to see what's next because I, I still believe it's going to be great things one day. All right, let's move on to number one. There was no debate about this. Yeah, it was last week we had the debate. I remember now. Yes, best of the Super Junior Finals, Shingo versus Will Ospreay. What, uh, what a match! This match was amazing. You want to know what it was? Star rankings and Uncle Dave Meltzer. 
Okay. Do you want to guess? No, just tell me. This is a, a, a rating between one and five stars. Um, so, of course, Dave gave it five and three quarter stars. <laughs> <laughs> He's just basically just makes stuff up now. But uh, so I, I suppose that means good. Really good. Great. I, yeah, I think you have to go to great. But there have been six or like seven stars. So maybe it's not that well, great. Well, they had Kenny in them. That's true. I mean, you get to start with like a star and a half. <laughs> That's but, how I rank them. Well, Uncle Dave aside, because he has, you know, he occasionally nails it and likes a great match like this one, but he also has, you know, notoriously bad taste in other things. So, but on this one, we can agree with him. This is a great match. This is a great match. I especially like, we, we were talking about it from the very beginning, the incredible back and forth sequence to open this match where the, the guys were running the ropes and reversing each other's signature moves. And like, um, this just reminded me of every great junior heavyweight match I've ever seen that has kind of become iconic, like going back to Tiger Mask and the Dynamite Kid. They all have these kind of similar sequences. And then, you know, everyone tries to copy those sequences, but no one ever can because no. their timing and their athleticism and just they're just so in the moment that no one can ever quite do it the way they right. do. Right. I mean, the pace was insane, but yet their timing was perfect. And just I mean I turned immediately to you and I said at that pace perfect timing nothing messed up nothing flawed like that's just amazing and I don't think I had ever seen that before I'm not I mean this was this was truly great and there was a lot of great matches during this best of the super juniors it's the best I've seen in years I think and uh but this was the best one they saved the best for last and uh just Osprey has become amazing and I didn't a couple of years ago, I was not a person who would have said that because his wrestling was a little bit too performative. It was so predicated on all the flips and dives and stuff like uh, to the extent that like it never felt like a, an athletic contest. It was just he was out there showing what he could do and it didn't really have it was only loosely connected to the idea of a wrestling match. Uh, but that criticism, like I'm like I'm willing to adapt with the wrestlers and change my opinion as they as they you know change what they do and this guy has become really good and so I'm more than happy to say like and I'm pleased that he's become a great wrestler I think he has yes so um they just went with the I you know I think the most straightforward story for this match which is that these guys are kind of the tough men of the super juniors right now the, the ones that are sort of on the edge, of could they could they yeah. move up and be heavyweights? In fact, I think they've both expressed an interest in moving up and being heavyweights. Uh, so really, they just toughed it out. Who was stronger? Who was tougher? And, uh, you know, Shingo Takage had never been defeated um, since coming to New Japan Eight Pro months. Wrestling. And then he was undefeated throughout the uh, best of the Super Junior Tournament until the final. And so, you know, he had established himself as a force to be reckoned with within the junior division. And, of course, Osprey has um, years of success there now at New Japan. And, and, you know, all over the world he's beaten the top wrestlers. So he comes in with his own credibility. And so that does lend some gravitas to a match like this where it's like the fans know that both these guys are for real. Like sometimes you have a, you know, the guys are going through the motions of a great match, but you know that the one guy just doesn't matter on the level the other guy does right like perceptionally into the promotion into the fans and so you know it kind of loses something because you know he's not really going to win 
But this was a match where you, who knew who was going to win? I didn't. I didn't know until they, I didn't know which they were, which way they were going to no, go. No, because and and they they didn't tip it ever. Mm-mm. Like from like you know at the end when they were hitting their finishers, um, you saw me. I was like on the edge of my seat, like uh, hopping up, like like I was Vince McMahon, and every near fall was mm-hmm. just like this is going to be it, and then it wasn't. Oh. Yeah, and Osprey has some of those good like two point nine nine Okada you know, uh, kickouts. So yeah, I, I didn't know which way they were going to go. I, I bought into a lot of those finishes. Yeah. So I was a little bit, um, I was pleased with the match. Of course, as a fan, I was really hoping for Shingo to win. Um, but, uh, sometimes your favorite team loses a sports game. That's how it goes. So uh, I, I actually, uh, I, I didn't care. I mean, not that I didn't care and that I didn't care about the match, but that I was fine either way. I guess that's a good feeling, although I kind of prefer the feeling of, like, living or dying with one wrestler that's in the match. Like, that lends a different perspective to it. And so that's kind of how I felt. Like, I was way on board Shingo. Yeah, I think, you know, more often than not, that's how I feel about a match. But I really like both of these guys. Um, I, you know, I like... In any way the story went, whether it was Osprey defeating uh, Shingo's winning streak in New Japan, or whether it was you know really deciding that you know Shingo's our he's our junior heavyweight, um, you know he's the guy in the junior heavyweights. Like either way would have been fine with me. So I just loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I just got to love it on like a physical sports level. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that was our top five for the week. Uh, shall we uh, journey into the the realm of listener questions? All right. What well, we got? Well, not too much. We were kind of let down. Our dozens of fans like uh, didn't deliver a lot of questions. You never remember to bank the old ones and write them down. Yeah, we have them somewhere. Somewhere there's a list of like all these old questions and apologies that we didn't answer them. In, uh, in one of your mini notebooks laying around the house. That's probably why they don't ask questions anymore. It's like, I already asked them and they didn't answer my question. So apologies. Yeah, we don't mean to be rude. Jonathan's just very forgetful. (laughs) I'm just an idiot. Uh, But we did have an interesting question come in from TJ from Inspire Pro Wrestling, uh, the first wrestling promoter to allow Ryan Ryan Loco and I to come to his show. Uh, We went to two of his shows in Atlanta. So um, TJ is like uh, always going to be aces in my book. All right. And uh, he wants to know uh, if you were choosing a boy band. Oh, the boy band question. Out of out of a wrestlers, professional. Okay. If professional, you had to staff a boy band with professional wrestlers. Who who would it be? Okay. And uh, we thought an unusual and an unusually long time about this. Yeah. So we originally thought we might have to make our own boy bands because we had some differences of opinion. Also, full disclosure that we are both boy band enthusiasts. Yes. Or at least used to be. Yes. So. Um, but but once we started talking it over, we discovered that we actually really had the same ideas for, I guess, what kind of characters you have to have in your boy band. Sure. So then that just led to a lengthy, ridiculously lengthy discussion of who best fit these character molds. Right. So we came up with just one boy band. Yes, the single boy band. And uh, I think uh, the... The first person that we we'll, we will bring out onto the stage to the like the gasps and cheers of all the teenage girls, and also forty year old men, uh, who are into boy bands, 
is a Jungle Boy. Oh, that that's the one we both agreed on very quickly. Yes, of course. Jungle Boy has to be in your boy band. Yeah, he's like Joey from New Kids on the yes. Block, like the super cute he's little He's beautiful. One. Yes. But uh, our perception is that he probably isn't the best singer yet. No. And so he's out there and he gets the immediate attention. Right. But then you got to like look to somebody to actually sing the main part of the song. Right. He's never quite as handsome, but he's handsome enough. He's good enough to pass. Yeah. And he can sing a little bit. Yeah. He has to be the one who sings. And, and ultimately, you'll find out that he's the one that writes all the really mushy songs. So the girls will all kind of gravitate towards him. Right. And and for that role, we chose uh, Yo from Rapungi 3K. That's right. I mean, he is... Uh, I, I think at some point they had a gimmick as like maybe they were they were part of a boy band and that Rocky their, was their that manager. Their current I, I, I don't know. think, I think it is. Um, but, but the, he the has winds just like took him right up to, into our boy. Band. Yes. He has, he has a perfect look. Um, I'm not sure why we assumed that he could sing, but I don't know. It looks like he can. And, uh, also he's very poetic in all of his backstage comments. So we assume he writes like poetry and can write songs. Yeah. And for sure. Uh, if you, Asian, like if you go into like Asian cultures, especially Japan, like uh, karaoke is a big thing. So I just assume he spends a lot of his time singing. I, yeah, I would assume that's what they do at the nightclub. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and so next is like kind of like the bad boy, but not the real bad boy. It's like the approachable bad boy. Okay, so which which one did we put in this role? So this was Sammy Guevara. Oh, Sammy, that's right. He has an edge. Just a little bit. But though. he's still pretty. Yeah. We don't know if he can sing or not, but he hits all the dance moves. He looks like he could dance, so yes. yeah. There's always got to be like one of them that carries the dance steps. Mm-hmm. Um, He's so. the one who's got to come out in front of the pyramid and do like the slightly fancier stuff than the other guys. Yeah, he's that guy. I think he's that guy. And then in every boy band, there's always the one guy who's like inexplicably too old for the band. The like, uncle. Like what's he doing there even? Buying a beer. It's like somebody's older brother or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't... But somehow he comes into it, and then like by the time their run is done, he's like 37 years old, and he's Did got like four him? kids. Right. Do they pick him because he's the only one whose voice has changed, so he Maybe has to do the bass? the bass? I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but yeah, there's he's always there. There's always that guy. Yeah. And, and this was like we couldn't decide exactly, and then we came up with one. It was like, yes, that's great. Trent Barretta. Yes, complete with his uh, denim vest. Yes. Always. Oh. Just never quite hitting the steps. But, like, uh, still just happy to be there. What were you comparing him to, like, Steve Buscemi? Hello, Hello kids. <laughs> Hello, fellow youths. <laughs> I'm Trent. And then finally, though, the final character, uh, this is the real bad boy. Yeah. He likes rap music. The actual bad boy. Yeah. He may have been caught, like, he may have been to rehab once or twice. And I'm not this person in real life, but this character. This character in the boy band. Yes, so we went with Darby Allen. Yes, Darby Allen is a, just a tremendous edgy boy band character. He has his face half painted. He's unusually handsome. He can do all the dance moves, but maybe he just doesn't fucking want to. <laughs> it's really up to him because he's a bad boy. He'll do what he wants. This is like when like Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block would wear the Public Enemy T-shirt. Yes, like that just showed that he had edge. Yes, like Darby is the same way. Right. So um, what did I tell you the you tell you tell your parents you like Jungle Boy, right? Yeah, so they'll let you go see the boy band or whatever. But really, you like Darby. Uh, you, <laughs> something about your your body likes Darby. 
can't, right. you can't explain it. No one can understand. <laughs> um, and then finally, though, there has to be a skeezy scumbag manager. And and that could only be Joey Janela. Yes, he Joey Janela for sure. Yeah, he's the manager of our wrestling boy band. Right. He's taking like ninety percent of their profits. For sure. Yeah. And he's the the one who gets one of them hooked on heroin for the yes, first time. That's right. When when they get a little bit older, you know, he's gonna make sure they have all the cocaine they need, all the weed they need, and the hookers. Yeah. He's he's got the, all the hookups, and he's already you know he's immediately looking for the next one. So he's like asking Jungle Boy if he has a brother, and like you know, Joey Janela's got it all figured out. That's right. These guys are gonna get they're gonna be all washed up. They're not gonna have any money because Joey took it all, and he's just on to the next group of boys. He he's our guy, <laughs> Joey Janela. Um, so that's our boy band, TJ. I, I hope you agree, but I'd love to hear uh, what you think. You know, any anyone can chime in on this one. <laughs> it's an open question. Um, and then finally, the, the last question was more like a, a, a request. I, of course, was talking about the 25th anniversary of 6394. Big holiday here in this yes. house. One of the only wrestling matches like known by hardcore wrestling fans just based entirely by the date. And, of course, it's a triple crown title match between Mitsuharu Misawa and Toshiaki Kawada. Widely considered the greatest wrestling match of all time before... Uh, Dave Meltzer considered every contemporary match the greatest wrestling match of all time. This was the one that for a long time was considered the greatest wrestling match of all time. Still, in my mind, is right up there. Um, but uh, Sour Senseless, a.k.a. Turbo, a.k.a. the guy from the boards that has all the watches, longtime associate of the podcast. won't go so far as to say friend. Oh, okay. Associate of the podcast. Wanted to know what you thought about 6394 and we weren't 100% sure whether you had seen it but pro- I, I suspected you had but maybe hadn't it was in a, li- a prior life before you were probably watching wrestling quite so hardcore I know you sh- I think you showed it, had shown it to me before a couple of times um, but yeah it's I probably hadn't watched it since some time in the early 2000s would have probably been the last time that I saw it uh, so we sat down and watched it again uh, because you always have a copy of that match on whatever. Um. <laughs> this is not even a lie. I carry, no. I carry like hard drives that have. Yes. Whatever memory you have with you, you're going to have this match on there. Oh, it has more than just. I have the entire televised career of like Kawada and Masawa and Kenta Kobashi. <laughs> I'm a complete uh, lunatic. That's right. In case, in case of emergency, you've got the hard drive with you all the time. You never know when someone's going to be like, hey, what's the greatest Japanese <laughs> wrestling match of all time? And I'll be like, buddy, not only can I tell you, I can show you. Right. And so I, I had 6394 ready ready to play. It's queued up at all times. And I, so a full disclosure, um, I was not watching Japanese wrestling at that time in 1994. Didn't really start watching Japanese wrestling until probably 97, 98, somewhere in there. Is that about right? Yeah, and that's true for both of us. I wasn't watching. So anything. I was, I mean, I still was very familiar with Misawa and Kawada, Kintakabashi, who I refer to as green, yellow, and orange. <laughs> Helps me keep it straight. And um, You've been referring to them to the, their trunk colors. Yes, always. For like 20-plus uh, years. Yes, I'm terrible at names, just really terrible at names. So that was just the easiest way for me to, to deal with it. 
And um, yes, yeah, so you we watched it again. Yeah, and everyone's dying to know what you thought. I well, I mean, I loved it. It's amazing. It's really a special wrestling match. Yeah, I mean, so you had to give me some context because, like I said, I wasn't watching Japanese wrestling in 1994. I didn't really understand the history uh, between you know these guys and. Um, but one thing I right away noticed is that the crowd was rabid from the beginning. I'm this like, was an insane crowd. So I can imagine that if I had been wa- if I had been watching All Japan Wrestling in 1994 and the build up understood the context and and had the build up to this match like I probably would have been insanely excited. I mean there's no way you couldn't be. So I mean the the story spans like uh, years. And at more than a decade by the time it's done. But like, so both these two guys went to high school together. Misawa was a year older. Both of them are wrestling champions. Both of them go into professional wrestling. But like from the very beginning, like, you know, everywhere Kawada goes, Misawa has already gone. He's a step ahead of him always. And so uh, by 1994, these are probably the two best in-ring wrestlers in the entire world. And yet... Uh, Misawa has always been the favored one. He was the one who got to be Tiger Mask when Giant Baba bought that the rights to be Tiger Mask. He was the one who beat Jumbo Saruta for the first time. He was the one to become the Triple Crown champion. Um, they were tag team partners, Misawa and Kawada, for years. Um, but yet Misawa was always kind of like the alpha dog and Kawada was his partner. Sure. And so, you know, he had that kind of understudy aspect to him and yet he believed uh pretty firmly that he could be every bit as good as misawa yeah i mean that has to be galling given that they were contemporaries like right i mean to to just constantly be like you said have some sort of a an apprentice vibe when in fact you are contemporaries and insanely talented right i mean are and arguably the best uh working wrestler of all time Kawada and so this was um, you know their matches over time had kind of gotten a a different feel to them like originally they were kind of just like oh we're going to have this nice technical match we're buddies and stuff Uh, the previous match to this one uh, Kawada was starting to go pretty hard and uh, then in in a tag team match uh, in December of the year before Kawada had injured his leg and so that you know he had that going into it but then there was actually a tag team match like the month prior to this between uh, Kawada and his partner Akira Tawe against uh, Misawa and Kobashi in which uh, Kawada and his partner just brutally went after Kobashi like in just like a in a in a way that was uncomfortable and that was just leading right into this match so when they came to to blows in this bout like it this had a totally different feel than any of their matches ever had before and it was 35 minutes and 50 seconds of just going after each other non-stop brutality i mean the the striking in this match um is i mean just unlike anything you'll ever see in a wrestling match i mean you can (laughs) say that these guys are good at selling but also they're just getting hit yeah i mean i was coming into this like i said without um understanding the context but you know not having really lived through it and knowing the whole story but i had my own context and so one of the things that surprised me was uh, seeing Kawada do these kicks that I have seen New Japan wrestlers use, um, most uh, notably Tai Chi. Right, his student. But they don't look the same. 
No, because Kawada mean, doesn't give a shit. Oh, they I mean, they are the same in like the technique, but they are not the same in delivery. It. I mean, he he holds on and just kicks full force. Like, I mean, it was insane. Uh, and as great as the offense is here, I think what makes Kawada the, the best wrestler I've ever seen is the selling that he does. Yeah. Both of the individual moves and then, like, kind of long-term over the course of the match, uh, particularly in this match, uh, Misawa had worked over his injured yeah, leg. Yeah, about a third of the way through the match. Which the crowd he, didn't he, like at all. No, he goes for the leg. And, uh, and But then he, he kind of sells it then for the next 30 minutes in a way that's just really brilliant where like he'll just like kind of uh he doesn't make a big performative show out of Mm -hmm. it the way like say no offense to him but like when will osprey decides he's going to sell his leg he makes a big show out of it and then he does all his regular stuff and then like five minutes later he'll make a big show out of it again it's actually pretty typical these days yes that's how he that's his idea of doing this long-term selling right but he doesn't it doesn't ever affect him throughout the course of the match he just does his stuff uh, Kawada will actually like, uh, you know, pretend to like, you know, or maybe for real, like can't hold weight on it. Yeah, it'll has, buckle. Yeah, he'll have to do it with the other leg mm-hmm. or he'll get hit. And instead of just doing the thing where it's like, okay, it's your turn and now it's my turn, you know, they'll, they'll exchange and then he'll stagger a little bit mm-hmm. backwards and like just stuff that's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was great. And it makes you just kind of forget that like this is a wrestling match. Like it feels like you're it was watching very easy to forget this was a professional wrestling match. And then, you know, there's just, you know, there's too much action. There's 35 minutes of pretty, pretty fast paced action for heavyweights. And the, um, the finish is what makes it kind of like go to a, the very next level. Oh man. I fell off the couch. It, it's ugly. You can't be ready for it. No, nobody does stuff like this and rightfully so anymore. I mean, I know going into it that he doesn't kill him, but I still, I just, yeah, I, I mean, it's just, it's terrible. So the move is called the, the tiger driver 91. He had done it for at one time uh, in 91, not quite to this. It was not quite this brutal, but so Misawa does like a, a double arm sit out power bomb. It's called the tiger driver. That was one of his big moves. But when that didn't work, and everything else he tried didn't work. He did a version of that in which instead of like dropping him down safely like a power bomb, he picks him up like that and then just drops him right on his head. Right on top of his head. Almost like a pile driver, an mm-hmm. unprotected. Um, and it's just sickening. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like he, there's no faking it. Like he just dropped him oh, right yeah. on his head. Oh, yeah. I mean, head. His, head, his head thumps and his neck crumples in a way that like you don't ever want to see and uh but you know that's kind of the story of the match too and it's the story of the rivalry which is like this guy has kawada has brought himself up to a level in which misawa who is the best wrestler in the world and the champion and, and beating everybody uh, can't beat him in with normal wrestling moves and so he has to escalate it to a point where he knows it's wrong everyone knows this you know you shouldn't do that and yet he has to do it to win the match and he does it and that's why he's the man i guess yeah and i was actually a little bit surprised because the um the the crowd and they seemed like a little bit split like i think it felt like they were ready for maybe kawada to win yeah but then they still seemed awfully enthusiastic about Misawa at well, the mean, end. Because you, I mean, imagine what he had gone through. They didn't have to imagine they had seen it and what he had proven to himself and to Kawada. Um, and then they shook hands, 
kind of begrudgingly after it was all done. And uh, I don't know, it was just, just so amazing to see it again and uh, still have all, all those feelings that I had the first time I, I watched it. Uh, and then as you watch it, like there's, you see like these little things in it, mm-hmm. not just in the match, but also in the crowd as how enthusiastic they are. But there's like one moment where um, Kawada hits one of his folding power bombs and it kind of looks like it might be the finish. And then Misawa kicks out and there's a dude who goes into the aisle and like does this little dance <laughs> and like you just have to look for it but it's just like that kind of stuff is what like uh, when you watch this match is like everything about it is perfect it is the perfect wrestling match well i mean you can just i could tell i mean i remembered watching it i didn't remember the details and a lot of it was really fuzzy like i said it's probably been close to 20 years since i'd seen it um but you can tell when you're watching it like that this is a match that's just it's gonna hold up like for a very long time if not forever in the history of professional wrestling you will always be able to go back and watch this match and be amazed i think so and 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 part of the reason is like because a lot of times like you know the arts take a step forward but in certain in a certain way um these guys escalated the violence of wrestling to the point that actually people took a step backwards and they may never do this again the way these guys did and they probably shouldn't. I'd be happy to never yes. see that finish. And, you know, all of them eventually, you know, when, spoiler alert, when Kawada finally did beat Misawa, he did his own unprotected pile driver. And Kenta Kobashi had the burning hammer, which he, you know, he didn't do it the way these indie guys didn't do now. He dropped him right on his head. And so, like, you know, the violence of this wrestling just escalated and escalated and escalated. And people were right to take a step back. But... Um, that doesn't mean we still can't enjoy the artistry for, for what it was. It's already done. Yeah. I mean, poor Misawa you literally died in the ring. So um, the cost that has already been paid, it was steep. But um, I think that the, the best way to pay tribute to what they did is to, to watch and enjoy it. I think that's, um, I don't know Misawa, but I assume that's probably what he would have wanted. Like he was creating this, these memories and this legacy for himself. And so um, I don't really feel bad watching it, although maybe I should. Mm, let's watch it every year. I, 6 <laughs> Every year in, in June we'll do it. Well, um, Christina, that brings us to the end of another podcast. All right. Uh, Next week. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Next week we'll be back here talking about uh, Dominion. I'm so excited. Uh, They released the card and top to bottom. It's just amazing. I will be up at two o'clock in the morning. um, If I can even sleep that night, Um, I'll try to get a few hours of sleep, but I kind of doubt it. Um, I I don't even know what I'm most excited for. I I was most excited for um, Ibushi Naito, but I don't know. I'm I'm really interested in what Okada wants to do with Jericho, and now I yeah I feel like this Moxley match with Shota like I feel like it could be really good because I you know I I don't I don't believe that Young Lion Shota is gonna win a belt off of uh, John Moxley, but I mean Shota is very good. This is a really huge chance for him to shine. Um, so I think they could really come up with something really cool. And then Dragon Lee and Will Ospreay. 
Yeah, so there's a lot of pressure on everyone, I think. I mean, you know that match is going to be entirely different than the Shingo match, but it could still be insane. Yeah, so but the, so the bringing in Jericho and Moxley, these big American stars, having Kota Ibushi there full-time, uh, the rise of Will Ospreay, like uh, there's a, there are a lot of factors now driving uh, Okada and Naito, like, you know, they're feeling pressure, I'm sure, to like deliver or you're going to be pushed out of the way. That's right. And so it's going to be exciting to see what they do to we rise just, to the we occasion. We just saw Jay White beat Tanahashi pretty much clean again. And 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 that's in the ring. And also his performance was outstanding. Yes. So like that's another guy who wasn't even on that list. But like uh, he's a, he's becoming a force like you have to think about him when you think about the great wrestlers of New Japan. So it's a... And I do all the time. Oh, uh, (laughs) no comment. (laughs) So uh, we'll be back here next week talking about this show and we'll see, uh, you know, what makes our top five and what doesn't. A lot of pressure on these guys, not just to win their belts and make a lot of money, but also to make this top five. So I I hope that good luck to them all. Good luck to them all.